Tonight at Ground Zero Meetings, we're going to continue down going through their Bible, and, and tonight's message is on Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel is, is a fun book, you know, as you've read, if you've ever read it, you know, there's a lot of, you know, different parables and, and visions that he has, you know, but to really get to know who Ezekiel was, that he was a man that was studying to be a priest when Babylon came in and and exiled the city, you know, he was one of the ones that ended up getting transplanted and moved into, you know, into the Babylon territories, you know, and the book kind of picks up and, you know, and he's, you know, sitting there, you know, next to one of the, the canals, you know, of the irrigation system and he's sitting on the bank, you know, and he's, I would imagine, this is my own interpretation, he's kind of moping. You know, that it picks up about five years after the exile. It's kind of his 30th birthday. You know, and the Levitical law is on your 30th birthday is when they would set you in as a priest. So here he is in his hopes and his dreams of being a priest have kind of been washed away. He's in a foreign land. You know, he's, he's, you know, basically a refugee. You know, and, you know, things aren't going the way he'd planned. How many times does things not go the way we plan? You know, and um, all of a sudden he has this vision. And it's like the clouds kind of open up and this thing starts swirling. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, he starts seeing these these giant beasts with angel wings. You know, and they all have four heads, you know, and, you know, they're kind of touching each other. And on top of it's this platform and on top of that is this throne and all of a sudden he sees this this majestic you know glowing being you know and it's like fire is swirling around him you know and and he's like confused but then all of a sudden he has this revelation that this is God and his kingdom and his throne room and he's having this vision you know but then it's like it kicks into his mind it's like this isn't supposed to happen here we're in Babylon that this is only supposed to happen in Jerusalem because that's where the Ark of the Covenant is. <clears throat> you know, so this this crazy vision that he's having, you know, this glowing, fiery presence that it's revealed, you know, and it's like the likeness of the Lord. You know, and there's several times in the Old Testament that they would say that this angelic form would come and it would be glowing, and they would call them Christophanies, where Christ in his glorified body would come and visit, you know, you know, someone, you know, that Moses would have one, Joshua had one, you know, Ezekiel's having one now, you know, and it's, you know, the glory of God is is physically manifesting, you know, in Babylon, you know, and you know, it's God's presence, you know, God's presence is moving in this place, and you know, part of His, you know, brain is like. This isn't supposed to happen this way. You know, so not only is he removed, you know, out of his timeline for his life and the way that he'd planned it and what he'd been studying for and the way it was supposed to go the way according to what he had hoped. But now God's outside of the box even more that God's presence is showing up in a place that it shouldn't be. Like this isn't the way God's supposed to move. 
you know, so he's, you know, wrestling with it, but yet he's still seeing what's going on, you know, and, and it's very similar to like when Moses would go up and, and have visitations with God, you know, and he would come out and he'd be glowing, you know, and he's having this, this vision, you know, and it's, you know, it's, it's really crazy, the things that are going on and, you know, and it's like his brain is just swirling, you know, because this doesn't happen this way. You know, how many times do we put God in a box and when things start to happen, we sometimes try to shut it down because that's not the way we want it to happen or not the way we think God should move. You know, and it's so important that we realize that we believe in the the God that created the universe, that he can literally do whatever he wants to do. You know, and I know for me there's sometimes that you know, I'm going in a certain direction and it's like, this is the way it's supposed to happen and this is my plan. And then God is like, shuts that thing down and hangs the left. And I'm like way off in the left field and I'm like, this isn't the way it's supposed to work. You know, and, and God is, is moving things and adjusting things, you know, that, you know, there's been many a times that, you know, I'm working, I'm doing different things, you know, I, I'm painting, I'm doing construction, I'm carpentry. You know, I got worship music on, and all of a sudden God's presence shows up in this place, and I'm crying, you know, and it's like I got to put down my tools because God's moving in the room. And it's like, well, wait a minute, God, I'm trying to do what I'm trying to do. You know, I'm not at church, you know, and, you know, how many times, you know, have I been in a movie theater watching some random film, and God speaks to me in a powerful way, and I'm sitting there in the in the chair just crying. Too many to count. When the first Thor came out, <clears throat> you know, so I'm literally watching a movie to another god. And the movie theater was so packed that I wasn't sitting with the people that I went with. I'm sitting in the back row and there's two people on the side of me. And at the very end of the movie, God just drop kicks me. And I don't think I have violently cried that hard ever. And I'm sitting in this movie theater just weeping and crying and blubbering and snots rolling out of my nose to the point that the credits and the extra Marvel second cut goes and people are leaving. And I'm sitting there in the theater still crying. And at some point it's like the lights come on and the people, the vacuum cleaners come in and I'm still sitting there crying. Because God's presence is moving. And I'm like, I gotta get out of here. So I like get up, walk out of the theater, walk out into the lobby, get into my truck, and I'm driving down the road with people in my truck still crying. Because God's presence moved in a place that I didn't expect it. But yet I welcomed it and I received it. You know, and God spoke to me. You know, and it's very important that when God starts to adjust us, that we kind of go with it. You know, how often do like tears start to come up during worship and we shut that down real quick because I don't want to cry in public. You know, or all of a sudden God's telling us something and we're like, yeah, 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 you know, it's not really God. And all of a sudden like God's telling us to go pray for somebody and we're like, eh, I don't really want to. And then somebody else steps out and prays for that person. You're like, that's exactly what I was thinking. You know, God wants to use us and move on us in all shapes and all different ways that are out of our boxes, you know, and it's very important that we let them.
Because at this time, if you know Ezekiel would have said, no, this isn't the way it's supposed to happen, you know, God would have just revealed himself to somebody else, and we would have never known Ezekiel's name, and we'd have some other random name in the Bible that has this story hooked to it. You know, I believe personally that I'm not the one that God chose for this ministry, but I am the one that was obedient to what he asked me to do, and I've been doing it for over 10 years. You know, there's many people that came along before me that had educations that were, you know, better at this and better at that. But I'm the one that said, all right, God, I'm going to do it your way. You know, I've been doing this for over a decade, and trust me, I've wanted to quit so many times it's hard to count. But at the end of the day, I'm saying, all right, God, I want to do it your way. You know, and this is when Ezekiel's life shifted from I want to be a priest to now God calls him in to be a prophet. You know, and he becomes a prophet in a foreign land talking about Yahweh around all these different people that don't believe in the same God that he believes, but yet there are some of the Israelites that have been exiled into Babylon. So he's talking to them, you know, telling them that you can't worship these other gods, that you need to to, to follow Yahweh. You know, and they don't want to hear it. Like, they're all disappointed, like God failed us, you know, we got exiled, you know, this isn't the way it was supposed to happen, you know, he should have saved us. But over and over and over again, as we've been going through the Old Testament, God gives warning after warning after warning of, you know, stop worshiping the idols that are around you, stop, you know, participating in these, you know, sick acts of worship of temple prostitution and and child sacrifices and all these other types of things. You know, God continues to pour out his mercy on the people, but yet he's still trying to get their attention. And once again, even after they've been exiled, you know, there's still people that are in Jerusalem, like the city hasn't been wiped out. You know, Babylon came and spanked them a little bit because that's what God wanted, hopefully trying to get their attention. You know, how many times have we been spanked? A little bit. Like it could be way worse. And God's like, do, you got, do I have your attention now? And we're like, yeah, you have my attention, but, you know, I really like doing this thing over here. You know, I still want to do it my way, God. What's the big deal? Like, I've given you all these other things, but yet I want to do this one thing. You know, and today, you know, that's the ladies' room. <laughs> you know, today we want to do things our own way, and yet have Jesus be okay with it. You know, so often, I think, you know, that we get mixed up in the world that's around us and other people that don't believe in what we believe are doing certain things, and, you know, they're not having consequences to what they're doing. And then all of a sudden we have a couple of believers doing some things, that we know we shouldn't be doing, but they're not really getting consequences, so we aren't getting really consequences. And we go to church and we believe in God, but yet we have this secondary life that worships all sorts of different idols that are in our world. Like we don't have a golden calf that we're bowing down to, but we have many different things that we would put in that place that I turn to this when I'm stressed. I turn to this when I'm overwhelmed. I turn to this when I'm angry. I turn to this when I'm struggling. I turn to this far more than I talk to Jesus. You know, and God's trying to get our attention and saying, I love you. I've saved you. 
You know, I've given you mercy. I've given you grace. I've given you a plan for your life. And yet we're like, eh, I don't know if I really want to do it your way yet, Jesus. You know, and, you know, we see this over and over and over and over and over again through the Old Testament. You know, that they want Yahweh, but yet when things get difficult, they start to partner with the tribes and the towns and the cities that are around them. You know, they'll quickly go to Egypt for some military support or they'll hang on to Babylon for some of this and they'll hang on to that. And, you know, so they have this mixture that's going on in their lives. You know, so as God speaks to Ezekiel and commissions him as this prophet, you know, once again, the prophet is trying to bring correction into Israel who continuously, continuously, continuously breaks their covenant with God. You know, he pours out his love, he pours out his grace, he pours out his provision, and yet when it doesn't happen the way they'd hoped it would happen, they turn to worshiping other idols. You know, so God appoints Ezekiel to begin to warn Israel that they need to repent or something far worse is going to happen than the first exile. And they didn't believe that the first exile was ever going to happen, so they're not going to believe that the second exile was even going to be worse. But here's Ezekiel beginning to to talk to him and tell him to warn the people of what's going to take place. You know, and you know Ezekiel begins to tell them that if they don't repent and turn to Yahweh and, and break off their ties with all these foreign gods and, and their worship that he's going to destroy Jerusalem and he's going to destroy the temple. And they aren't buying it. you know. And God begins to speak to Ezekiel with all these crazy visions you know, and in all these different ways. You know, He sets up this small replica city of Jerusalem in like the, the town square, and then he begins to destroy it. And they're like, this guy's crazy. You know, and he, you know, in that day, you know, it was very important for them to have their hair and their beards, and he shaves it all off, and then he goes into the courtyard and he's cutting it all up with a sword, saying that there's going to be destruction. You know, he, he tells Ezekiel to, to go into the square and lay on his side for a year, you know, and eat food off of human poop. And he's like, all right, wait a minute, God, you've gone too far. I'll do it, but at least make it cow poop. And he's like, all right, deal. So Ezekiel basically goes into town and he lays on his side and he cooks food over dried, you know, oxen dung, you know. And people are like, this guy is crazy, you know, but he is showing that he's the representation of the scapegoat and what kind of craziness is going to take place in their lives. You know, God told him over and over again what was going to happen, but they couldn't listen because of the hardness of their hearts. You know, how many times have we known that God has spoken to us about something, and yet we just can't get momentum in that area? You know, we're like, all right, this is the day that I'm going to change. And, nope, we're off doing it again. You know, and this is the day that, you know, something's going to happen. But it just that seed keeps getting stolen away by the enemy, keeps getting stolen away by, you know, the sin of this world, the hardness of our hearts. You know, and... You know, God is trying to get to the root of the problem. So God gave Ezekiel another vision. He takes him out of, you know, Babylon and sends him to the temple. 
you know, and he sees what's going on back in Jerusalem. You know, and they're having all this worship. They they have, you know, you know, all these different idols set up in the courtyard to the temple. And he's like looking at it and they're worshiping, you know, all these gods inside the temple, outside the temple in the courtyard. He looks over and he sees all the women around, you know, this Babylon God and they're worshiping him. You know, and, you know, it's a representation. That God is considered the shepherd. And, you know, it's like we have our good shepherd. And yet there's a counterfeit that tries to come in and represent. You know, so when times are hard, they're turning to the shepherd, but they're turning to the wrong shepherd. You know, and, you know, it was a symbol of prosperity. It's a symbol of, you know, you know, different ways that they would seek money, you know, that they would use, you know, lambs and goats and, and different, you know, animals, you know, as a way to have money, you know, and that God's wife was the God of vegetation. So if they had good crops and they would have good money, you know, so, so often we, we bow down to money and it becomes an idol in our lives because, you know, we need it to survive and we rationalize why it's okay. But yet, if we put anything above God, that it, it gets in our way. <clears throat> you know, so, you know, he begins to see all the d- different offensive things that are, are taking place, and God removes them up out of the temple. You know, and he basically, God begins to, you know, drift away. So he sees that same vision again with the four-headed beasts, with the angels and the, and the platform and the throne and the glorified Christ sitting on that throne with the fires that are swirling around it. But now it's leaving up out of the temple and it's heading east. So it's heading towards Babylon. So it's leaving Israel and heading towards the remnant of the people that are actually trying to, to follow Yahweh in this foreign land. You know, and, you know, I've been around long enough that you know, being removed out of the world and in my sin patterns and running in the streets the way that I did and, and coming into the church, you know, we're blessed to have a really great church, but you still run into really dysfunctional Christians. You know, and what I see is sometimes there's this gated community that, you know, I can't hang around sinners because I might catch their disease. But yet, aren't all of us sinners? And yet, how am I supposed to light up the darkness if I don't take my light into places that it shouldn't be? You know, and it doesn't mean that I should go to bars anymore and I shouldn't go hang out on some of these streets and go sit in front of the spot and and wonder what's going on. I shouldn't go on Tinder and all these other types of websites just trying to hang out with people. I'm just looking for a friend. I just want to hang out. But is that what really ever happens? You know, however, I think that we should have partnerships with people. Like, we shouldn't go into the workplace and be so religious that we don't have relationships with people that don't believe in the same stuff that we believe. Because how are they going to come to an understanding that we're different? So if we're participating in the same sins that they are, and then we're pushing them away and thinking that we're better than, it doesn't, they don't, we're not attracting them on any level. However, if I love them 
and I'm resisting, and they may not understand it, but when they have a crunch time in the sin that they're going through, and they're saying, how do you stay out of it? And we say, this is how Jesus set me free from this. Then all of a sudden, somebody is way more curious about what we believe, because it's not, hey, come to our gated community and follow our rules. It's, I'm living this principle of love, and because of what's taking place on the inside of me, I don't fall into the same sin patterns that I used to. However, it's important that if I'm struggling, I need accountability, I need to be confessing, I need to have people around me that know what my struggle is. But like, I'm going to you know, just witness to the really cute chick in my class. But you want some Jesus? You know, so often we gravitate into places that are very sketchy and we get real close to the line, don't we? Or we're so far away from the line that nobody knows what we believe. You know, how many times do is there people in our workplaces, people in our family, people in our classes that don't even know that we believe in Jesus because we don't let them know on any level. So we have a, a light that's hidden. See, I think, personally, that I need to be really committed and plugged into my local church, but I need one foot in the sewer. That how am I going to let people know that there's a pathway out of darkness if I'm not letting them know that there's a way? You know, if someone didn't invite me to church in 2005, I wouldn't be standing here. That we don't know what other people are going through. You know, and, you know, there's different statistics, but one of the statistics that I've I've read is that 80% of the people would come to church if somebody would just invite them. But we don't invite them because we know they're sinners and they wouldn't want to come. Or we're so insecure that we don't know how to share our faith that I don't know all the Bible because I don't really read the Bible. So, uh, do you want to come to church? Well, what, you know, I don't want to tell, I don't want to, I don't want to evangelize because I don't have all the answers. But it's not up to me to have the answers. It's up to me to point to the one who does. You know, so the point I'm getting to is that God can move in this crazy world that we live in. You know, sometimes we have the the box that people are supposed to get saved a certain way. There's no part of my life since I became a Christian that fits in the box. (laughs) Like, I don't even know where the box is. Like, I go to church every week. I mean, that's part of a box, right? But, like, the rest of everything is crazy. How God's moved, how God's provided, where's God sent me, who God uses me with, how God moves, you know, when I pray, you know, all these different things. And it's not me. I just said, God, I'm doing it your way because my way sucks. You know, I have a 100% track record of destroying everything I touch when I do it my way. And in 2005... I needed some Jesus, but I was still just trying to get sober. So I was trying to figure out Jesus, but still doing it my way. And ended up back in the places I didn't want to be. So in 2006, when I came back, I said, all right, I'm doing it your way. And I've been plugged in ever since. And God's been doing all these radical things because I stopped trying to do it my way and trying to get him to do it my way because my way doesn't work. I'm 100% convinced that if I try to do my way now, I'll still destroy everything I touch. However, we can be in dark places, we can be in secular places, we can be in secular universities or secular schools, we can be in secular jobs, and God can still move radically if we're obedient to him. So often we think that we need the Christian jobs or 
you know, the Christian friends so that God can move. But so often, you know, God moves mightily in the places that we don't expect him to move. You know, that some people say that the next revival is going to not happen in the church, but happen in the streets. Oh, wait, isn't that how all the other revivals happen too? You know, typically it doesn't happen the way we think it's going to happen. So we want God more. But yet I'm not being obedient to what God's already asking me to do now. But yet there's a dying world out there that needs Jesus. You know, and if I would surrender my life to him and say, all right, I'm ready to do it your way. We're going to go for a ride. And it's going to be scary, but it's awesome at the same time. You know, so here's God's presence moving into Babylon and getting closer to the people that actually want him, even though that's not where it's supposed to happen. Because the people that are in the temple are worshiping all these other crazy things. You know, we seen that repeated in churches. You know, I'm grateful and, and for our church that sticks to the word. You know, but there's a lot of churches that don't stick to the word. You know, they do what they think is best. You know, and, you know, I'm not here trying to bash a church. That's not my point. My point is that we need to be in our word and we need to be plugged into our local church and we need to be following leadership that's obeying their word to the best of the ability because none of us are perfect. That I didn't wake up today perfect, and I won't get in tomorrow. However, I have a Bible, and I need to get in it. You know, And I believe that God saw Ezekiel as this man in the midst of, of in Babylon, in the midst of all this craziness, and said, I can use this one because he really wants me. And I think that God could really begin to move in every single one of our situations more than he already is if we would say, God, I'm, re- I'm done doing it my way. I'm ready to do it your way. Do whatever you want with me. You know, and I believe that crazy things can happen. I absolutely believe miracles can take place. You know, that God abandoned his people that were in the temple and went to hang out with the people that were exiled. But he also promised that he would return the remnant back to the land of promise. So even though he exiled them because they were doing all this crazy stuff, he then went and got them, and then later on he's going to bring them back. It's so often when God takes us in these places, he's given us a word, and there's hope. That he doesn't just destroy things and then says, oh, good luck, you're a sinner. You know, he comes in and he breaks off things, but then he instantly starts to encourage and give hope and say, I love you. You're mine. I got you. But you still got to surrender. And the more we keep trying to do it our way, he spanks us a little bit more. He spanks us a little bit more until we say, all right, I'm done. But some of us are stubborn. I know I am. You know, if I look back over my life prior to 2006, you know, even when I was an atheist, I can see how God's hand was moving. I can see how Christians were coming into my life and trying to, to witness to me or, or encourage me or pray for me. And I'm like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. God has always been moving in our lives. How much more can he move now that we actually believe that he can? But yet we resist him because he might ask us to do something that we don't really want to do. Or it's uncomfortable and be like, well, I really like this sin. This one's fun. 
but it's destroying us. You know, so it's so important that we we realize that we need to be laying down everything. You know, he begins to to speak this new message. You know, of hope starts to come through Ezekiel that he's going to transform the hearts of the people. You know, that that prior to Jesus, we have a very arrogant, prideful heart of stone. And then Jesus comes in and begins to melt that stuff. There's no set of rules that I'm ever going to really behave very well under. And I know a couple of you, and you're not going to behave under a bunch of rules either. If Jesus didn't come in and start to destroy our hearts in a good way, we wouldn't even be this far along the path. Because as much as we've tried to behave, it's never worked. As much as we've tried to get sober or pure our way, it's never worked. It's only until God wrecks us with his grace and his love and we realize that he loves us and we realize that he's you know, moving in our lives and we say, all right, I'm ready to do it your way. And all of a sudden things begin to shift. And we get really freaked out and scared because it's like these miracles are starting to take place. That There's restoration, there's healing, and we get out of this and we get out of that. And he's like, I got you. Just do it my way. And we're like, oh, my goodness, here we go. That's always fun, right? I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. But he wants to give us this soft heart that he can show us how to truly love and follow him. You know, it's funny lately, you know, I've posted a few things on social media and I get attacked by Christians. And then I post scripture and get attacked by the scripture. And then I ask a question and get attacked for the question. Not by people of the world. Not even people from the far left. I'm getting attacked by people that are saying that they belong to Jesus. Because what I've posted goes against their worldview. And they're like, well, do you have a political worldview or do you have a Christian worldview? And then it's like at the end of the day, it's like, well, we shouldn't do this or we shouldn't do that. And I'm like, where's that in the Bible? Because I'm posting scriptures about loving people and you're telling me how I shouldn't be. Wait a minute, what? See, it's so important that we allow... Jesus to get in and, and change stuff inside of here and not get our religious box and this is the way we go to church. This is the way I'm supposed to behave. But when you're not looking, I'm doing whatever I want to do. That I know for me, an hour on a Sunday would never have been enough to change this wretched sinner. That if Jesus didn't wreck me and then get me into his word and then start speaking to me through that book in such a way that freaked me out, I would not be standing here. That it's so important that we're in our word, and it's so important that we're saying, God, I'm ready to do it your way. Because there's so often that we can go through the motions of things, but our heart, our heart is hard, and yet when no one's looking, I got this completely other life I'm living. 
And I know for me, I can't live that way. I lived that way before I got to Jesus, and it did horrible things for me. That when Jesus came in and, and began to truly break off all this craziness in my life and, and ruin my life to sin, that I didn't want it. I didn't want to be a Christian. Like, I was hanging out with Christians because I'm trying to figure this stuff out, and we would go out and they would tell people about Jesus when we went out to eat, and I'd be like, don't do that around me. Like, no, 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 we don't do that. You might do that, but don't do that around me. And now I'm that guy. Thanks, Jesus. <coughs> Thanks for that. But I'm very grateful for that. Because I surrendered my old life and said, that's not working for me. You know, I didn't get saved to go to heaven, believe it or not. And I didn't get saved because I was afraid to go to hell. I accepted Jesus because I was so tired of the pain that was going on the inside of me and nothing worked. And when I allowed Jesus in, he began to change my heart and heal my wounds in such a way that nothing has ever even paralleled the ability to heal the brokenness that's on the inside of me. And I know most of you, it's the same exact way. But yet we're not done. Just because we have one story of radical miracle, suddenly, whatever, how God moved in our life, does not mean that God is done. He's saying, I got so much more. Lay it down again and let's go for a run. Because we get, we get stagnant in our walk with God. Because we go through the motions of Christianity but it's not about radical obedience. That when I read through my word, I see a bunch of broken people that laid down their lives and God said, all right, let's do some cool stuff. That I see a lot of people in the Bible that were far worse than me, but yet they said, all right, I'm ready to do it your way. You know, And I also see people in the Bible that God called, but they wouldn't do it his way, and then all of a sudden they disappear out of Scripture. I just want to kick the devil in the teeth so hard with the rest of my life because he's ruined the first 30 years. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to show people that there's a way out of the darkness and that Jesus is real. And it's not about rules or religion. It's about this deep, intimate, personal relationship with a very loving God who wants to transform every last piece and nook and cranny of pain into his glory testimony that anybody that I come across and I can tell them about Jesus, that I have some piece of the puzzle that says, here, look, Jesus can do this. But if I'm just going through the motions of church, I don't ever want to reach into those dark places because the fire that's on the inside of me isn't burning bright enough. But I call myself a Christian. That was never meant to be. That the title Christians was a mock term to people that were representing Jesus. They're like, oh, look at the little Christians. They look at the little Jesuses over there. Believing that they can cast out demons and perform miracles. Oh, that's so cute. And now it's a title. But yet we're not obedient. You know, and that's what God goes into next. You know, as we, He comes into our hearts, that he begins to give us this hope in the midst of our darkness. 
that even though there's judgment and dysfunction and idolatry in our lives, that God begins to ruin that stuff because of His goodness and His righteousness. That He must bring justice. There's times that He's got to spank us because we refuse to listen. However, on this side of Jesus, on this side of the cross, we get far more grace. However, if you look all through the Old Testament, they got hundreds of years to change their behaviors, generation after generation after generation, and they still didn't do it. And that's why God came in and began brought correction. That God wants to move in our lives. He wants to break off the sin patterns that we're still struggling with, even though we have freedom from so many things. That he's not done working if we would just surrender again. And again and again. You know, there was hope for Israel because God promised to raise them up, a new David, this messianic king, that he will be the leader for Israel that they needed, that there was going to be a new Israel filled with transformed people because of the hardness of their hearts was going to be stripped away and that new hearts were going to be given to them because the rebelliousness was going to be broken off because they were going to be obedient and God was going to send his spirit to fill up his people so that they can learn to love and obey God. See, this is the promise that Ezekiel gave to Israel, and we're living in it. We're living in the promise that we have already received the Messianic King, that we've already received the power of the Holy Spirit. But we have to lay down our ways of doing things so that can begin to move and transform us on a level that we didn't even know existed. I know it's hard. Our flesh is very inviting and tempting and it drags us into places that we wish we didn't go. And there's people around us that are doing things and having fun and it looks, but you know what? How many times did I look like I was having fun? Meanwhile, when I was home by myself, I was crying. How many times did I was like, woo, this is awesome. And then I was wishing that I was dead. So just because what it looks like isn't does not mean that that's what it is. It's so important for us to lay it down. Whatever it is that we're hanging on to and saying, God, I want you to move in this way, but I want you to do it this way, because if you do it that way, it's going to be very uncomfortable and painful. I would much rather have God's surgery than my extended lengthy path of pain trying to get God to do it my way, but in the end, it's going to have to be surgery anyway. Because that's literally the only way that he's worked in my life, is I get so fed up of doing it my way that I come before him and say, I surrender again, and again, and again, and again. So I just want to encourage anyone that's struggling tonight, that it's not over, it's just beginning again. I just want to encourage, if there's some area of brokenness, God loves that stuff. He loves getting into that place and showing you that he loves you anyway, no matter what might have happened, no matter what you might have done. And he says, let me into this place and watch what I do. He is a healing God. He is a restoring God. He is a loving God. But we have to allow him in to places that are very difficult to let him in. We've got so used to having so many different trust issues and, and 
and all these different stuff as we grow up that we keep everybody at arm's length. That most of the time people don't even really know our real us. They know the masks and the walls that we portray. Because somewhere a long time ago we lost us too. Because we were wearing so many masks that we don't even know who we really are anymore. But this is the important part is that when we give ourselves to Christ, that our identity is in Christ, not in what we've done or what we did or what we do. It's in him. And if we don't feel that we're completely in him, we got some work to do. And you know what? He's going to meet us exactly right there at that moment when we say, I'm ready to do it your way. It's so important that we're getting into our word on a regular basis. I hated to read, but I read it almost every day now. Because I know that that book has transformed my mind and my life. That God speaks to us through those those pages. And that we we know that it's God that spoke it. That when some pastor preaches or, or we hear something, some YouTube video that somebody shares, and I'm like, oh, that was really good. But when God speaks it off the page directly to us, we know that God spoke to us. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't have Holy Ghost moments or emotional moments when other people speak. It's just something different when we're alone with a book and all of a sudden God speaks into the the depths of who we are because no one else knows what we're going through. But all of a sudden we flip it open and that exact thing that we need to hear comes off that page. That we know that that rhema word, that, that God spoke to us about our situation. So it's so important that we're in our word. Because how do we obey God if we don't really know Him and we don't know how to follow Him? And that if we're just obeying Christianity, we're missing it. We're missing it. So I just ask you to bow your heads with me tonight. Lord, I just ask that you would move on this place, Lord. I pray that you would move in our hearts, Lord. I pray that you would move in our minds, Lord. I pray that you would give us hope in the darkest of places, Lord. It doesn't matter if we've struggled with that sin today. It doesn't matter if we've struggled with that sin for a decade, Lord. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we've hung on to this brokenness or this trauma. It doesn't matter what we've been through or what we're going through, Lord. That you are almighty and you are all-powerful, Lord. And that you are an intimate God. That you want to come into the depths of our, our brokenness and the depths of our pain and the depths of our struggle and begin to guide us out, Lord, because you are the light. So I pray, Lord, that we would invite you in right now. No matter what we're going through, no matter what breakthroughs we've had, no matter what successes that we've had, no matter what freedom we have, there's still more. So, Lord, help us to realize that there is more of you. Help us not to limit the way you can move in our lives. Help us not to put you in that box, Lord, thinking that this is the way it's supposed to be or this is the way it's always going to be. Help us to know that you're a supernatural God that comes into our broken places and begins to restore and work miracles in our lives, in our marriages, in our children's lives, in our struggles, in our quiet time, in our brokenness, in our our secret places, Lord, that you want to come into our everyday struggles and begin to give us victory, that we can boast in our weakness so that you can be glorified because we can't do it in our own strength, Lord. That we need to do it your way. We need to learn what your way is. That we need to get in your word, Lord, so that we can obey you. Lord, that we're we're struggling. 
Lord, there's an oppression that hits us. This time of year, Lord, when we start to hear Christmas and all the financial struggles and all the family stuff and all the the past memories and all the brokenness and all the hopes and the dreams that have been shattered through the years, Lord, it just feels like depression wants to come in at this time of year. Lord, I rebuke that. Lord, I pray that you are the light of this world, that you are Emmanuel, that you came into the darkness and that you began to illuminate that you would give us hope in this time. That you would give us peace in our minds. That you would give us that fire, Lord. That you would pour out your spirit upon us, Lord. That you would consume us from the inside out, Lord. That it wouldn't be about rules. That it would be about a deeper, intimate, personal relationship with you, Lord. That we would want you to come in to the darkest of places, Lord. Because we can't do this anymore. Lord, I pray for the rebelliousness that still lingers upon our hearts. I ask that you would break it off, Lord, because of your love, not because of rules and we're supposed to. It's never worked. It can't work today. It won't work tomorrow, Lord. It's all about your love, Lord. It's all about your presence moving upon us, Lord. So, Lord, I just thank you. I thank you so much for all that you've been doing, Lord. That none of us would be here if you hadn't already started moving on us, Lord. But Lord, help us to realize that you got more to do. Help us to realize that we're not done yet. Help us to realize that what we're going through right now, it's not over. It's just starting. Lord, there's more freedom to come, Lord. Even if we've screwed up today, Lord, that you are a restoring God and your mercy's new every morning, Lord. I pray that your grace comes into the depths of who we are and gives us the strength to overcome anything, Lord, because we know that we can do anything as long as you are with us and that we're doing it your way. So, Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, for all that you've done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.